What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. All the Last Dance, the documentary was just tremendous. And it was just the first couple of episodes. <laughs> it was just amazing. So we've been talking about The Last Dance, brought to you by Coors Light. And I tell you, every single night at 8 o'clock, I give you something NFL draft, give you something Bears. But I got to talk about The Last Dance also with uh, my guy, Chicago Zone, the show pony Chris Childers from Full Ride on Sirius XM, ESPNU Radio, uh, Channel 84, and he joins me here on ESPN 1000. Chris, as always, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man. It's always an honor. It's good to be here. What's up? How are you? No, you know what's up. You know what's up, Show Pony. You know exactly what is up. You know that this city is on fire for that documentary last night. And as a Chicagoan, you know um, the championship years is just amazing. And it just it's filled with drama, but also happiness because of the championships. So what stood out most about what you saw last night? Well, first of all, it it feels good. You know, I I live in Nashville now, and I've been here for, gosh, it's been a while. I guess I moved here in 2000, so a couple of years after the run, you know, after the sixth title and all that. I think I was in high school when it all went down. It just felt good to feel like I was home. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, every memory came rushing back. I was really lucky during that era. Uh, my dad's company had a box there at the UC, and before that at Chicago Stadium, so we were spoiled as hell. Like I went to at least 10, 15 games a year and had great seats. And uh, sometimes we'd get to meet the players and, you know, we'd get this awesome access that uh, I was spoiled to get as a kid. So just kind of going back and seeing footage and, you know, reliving moments like that. I was think- I was looking at a couple of balls that I have in my um, my studio here, my little home studio for SiriusXM. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of cool to just stare at my Bill Wennington ball that I waited in line at Sport Mart for when I was a kid. And uh, Tony Kukoc, I waited in line for him at some uh, sporting goods store, I don't even know where, somewhere in Vernon Hills uh, when I was a kid. But it was just cool to see those guys and to look at MJ and, and to think back on those years. So I thought it was really cool. I think what was really kind of fun for me was – Hating Jerry Krause all over again. I mean, just <laughs> everything about the two episodes. He's the villain. And remember back, I mean, just remember back to that era and how much we hated him. Like, we loved that team. So, it was, you know what I loved the most about it, too? And I said this earlier to a friend. I said, I think the thing that I loved the most about it is that the players hated him as much as, as we did. As a city, as a fan base, as Bulls junkies that filled the United Center on a nightly basis, like we hated the guy and for good reason. And I think it's kind of neat to know that internally he was despised to the point that MJ would always give him a hard time. Uh, the Pippin stuff was well documented in the second episode when it came to the money and all that kind of stuff. Uh, fascinating to see a guy that was so in love with himself uh, while they had the best player in the history of anything on the roster. Like, how can you put yourself above that? Just enjoy the damn ride and shut up. But it was just kind of amazing to go back and think about, as a fan, you know, what it was like to 
adore those guys to love Scottie Pippen, to love Michael Jordan, to hell, love Luke Longley all the way down to Judd Bushler, you know, being a Bushler fan and, and guys like that. And, and the guy who's the general manager who's pulling the strings is just so despised. And I think that's one of the things that just stood out to me is that how disrespected he was behind the scenes and how much he was hated in the city. You know, just being reminded, I think, in the first episode, they showed him during one of the ring ceremonies and the chorus of booze. It's like Roger Goodell at a draft or, you know, uh, Gary Bettman at anything in NHL. Right. Uh, it's the chorus of booze. You know, it, it was like that for Krause. And could you imagine just his existence, just, you know, having the job that he had, having the power that he had and the championships, the rings, and the players that he was, you know, technically the boss over and to have the existence that he had yet should be so disliked. You know, they documented the fact that he was picked on as a kid. I mean, it had to be a really kind of, I'm sure he's an odd, fascinating mental study. You know what I mean? If you went inside the mind and psyche of Jerry Krause. What is interesting to me, Chris, is that you fast forward to today and John Paxson's that guy. I know. You know, as as John Paxson was yeah. a player, and I, we just went through the whole for about ten minutes the whole Indiana Pacers Bulls thing where Jordan was on a minutes limit, and like Stan Allbeck wanted to put him in, but he's like, you know, mm-hmm. Kraus says I can't put you back in because if I do, I'll get fired. And we fast forward all the way to Paxson, the same spot as GM with the stopwatch on Joe Kim Noah, and v- Vinny Del Negro kept Joe Kim Noah in the game. And yep. that's the pulling the tie incident of the co- the confrontation between Paxson and Vinny, where he's pulling Vinny's tie and yelling at mm-hmm. him and all that. And so it's just to me, we see what happened in the past, and it's amazing how John, as as great as John was as a player and affable and all that, Chris, he he didn't learn from the from the Kraus years. It was the the same things that we see today. We saw back then, not everything, but just glimpses of of Kraus behavior from John. It's incredible how the documentary has really put a spotlight on it, and how we can really talk about it like this. I'm totally with you. I was I was thinking about the same thing. I have this uh, John Paxson bobblehead that sits on my desk, and I was looking at it uh, last night after I was watching it, uh, the episodes, and I was just thinking about. Um, what he was to me, like just what I thought of him as a player, like how much did we love him back in the early 90s and some of those early championships, the first three, and what John Paxson was to the Bulls. I mean, as a kid, he was one of my early idols. I mean, this guy could shoot the hell out of the basketball. Um, I love John Paxson. I mean, he was you know, one of my favorite players growing up, you know, him and Horace Grant and, and uh, you know, guys like that, Bill Cartwright. I love dudes like that, the role players, if you will on those first three championship teams. Craig Hodges was a guy that I loved. Um, but John Paxson was a dude that I adored. And, you know, he lived through Jerry Krause. He was there. He saw that. And it is kind of wild. Maybe you learn from what you see. You know, maybe that at the end of the day is kind of what yeah. we're seeing is that just through, you know, Jerry Krause oozing his whatever osmosis into John Paxson, we see the same kind of um, patterns and practices from John Paxson over the years. It's kind of wild, right? It's like it's like Jerry Krause without winning. It's Jerry Krause without the rings. It's Jerry Krause without Michael Jordan. It's Jerry Krause without Pippen and Rodman. Uh, it's all the drama and crap and nonsense that you had to cover if you were in the media, if you were a fan to obsess about back in the '90s. But it's without any any of the results, and uh, it's kind of it's it's weird. I was thinking about the same thing as I watched it uh, last night, and then I watched it again this morning. 
is, yeah, he has kind of morphed into a modern-day, weird, non-liked, odd Jerry Krause now in modern-day bulldom. <laughs> Chris Childers from SiriusXM Full Ride with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Uh, I got to ask one other Bulls question. I know the fans, we're, they're used to Bears and NFL talk, but I got a Chicago homeboy with me, so we got to talk about this Bulls documentary last night. Is there something that stood out to you, Chris, that you did not know about the Bulls in that those early days of Jordan? You know, I had forgotten, honestly, and maybe it was because I was younger and, like, in high school and, um, you know, like, in junior high when all that was going on. And I guess even younger than that when the first ones were happening because, you know, I vividly remember the first championship, but I remember being really young, and then I obviously remember, like, really enjoying the the latter three, the uh, the ones with uh, Harper and all those guys, Longley. Uh, on the team, I guess I forgot how underpaid Scotty Pippen was. I guess that just wasn't a memory in my mind. I never thought about it that way. Like I guess my when I just thought about the Bulls, you think of Jordan and Pippen and the two greatest of all times, and I would think that they both live in incredible mansions. And you know, I'm sure Scotty's done quite well. Don't you know? Let's let's not uh, let's not get it crazy here. But I didn't realize, I guess, to the extent. I guess I had forgotten or not paid attention to or was just kind of focused on the team itself and the games and the night in and night out of what was going on. To uh, What did they say? He was the 122nd paid guy, and yet Jerry yeah. Krause was adamantly saying he was one of the top one or two guys, or, you know, top two or three guys in the league. Yeah, he's, and he's uh, ma- what a contradiction, he's, he's making... right, to the way you treat a guy. Like, what a what an awful businessman. I mean, this guy has helped make you who you are, and yet you're going to be that, that you know, um, Who's the guy I'm thinking of? The awful boss, the old uh, owner of the Blackhawks. Uh, Wirtz, Bill, Bill Wirtz. Yeah. That Bill Wirtz kind of dude, you know what I mean? That, that hardline mentality and not being loyal to the people that got you there. And, you know, I think that's um, – it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate to see that. So I didn't really realize the way – I guess I forgot to an extent, um, you know, the timing of Scotty's injury and when he wanted to have the surgery and how that was kind of a middle finger to Jerry Krause. And I guess I just – all of that – um, I'd forgotten over the years, and I just remembered the six titles and the celebrations and Grant Park and the cigars and, you know, all the cool merchandise I used to buy. The bull, I had every Bulls t-shirt and hat, um, you know, the real men wear red or whatever the things were that they used to sell mm-hmm. back in the day. They had all that crap. Um, I still have an old brick from Chicago Stadium sitting uh, on one of my shelves right now that I'm looking at from one of those days. So. I just kind of I forgot how I guess financially mistreated Scotty Pippen was when what you know because everything in my life as a Bulls fan was Jordan and Pippen and the one hand in hand. Um. Uh, by the way, so that the amount of money that Scotty was was given in that contract that's the equivalent of Andre Robers, Roberson now. So that yeah, gives amazing. you an idea. <laughs> yeah, isn't that amazing? That's crazy. That's not great. That's crazy, so, dude. Um, so I got to switch gears. I got to ask you about the Bears because the draft's coming up, Chris, and I'm wondering from you, for, before we go into the draft, I want to ask you um, your thoughts at the time when you found out that the Bears were trading for Mitch Trubisky because you're covering college football, college sports uh, like a blanket for years here. And so at the time of Trubisky, 12-13 starts at North Carolina. What were your, your thoughts on him as a player, and what do you think now? Was I, I'm trying to remember if I was on with you. I might have been. 
Um, I know I was definitely on the station the night of the national title game. Tell me if I'm wrong. Night of the national title game in Tampa, it was Clemson versus Alabama. Was I on with you that night? Because you'd asked me about the – or somebody asked me about the quarterback situation. You might not remember, but um, it, it, it must have been you. Either way, it doesn't matter. You'd, uh, somebody had asked me that night, who should the Bears take a quarterback? Because they need a quarterback. And I was um, very adamant in saying Deshaun Watson. I said, Deshaun Watson is that guy. I was like, what else do you have to see? This guy has lit up an NFL-like defense. Don't get it wrong. I mean, go look at the guys that Alabama has and the factory and how they're sending guys left and right from their 2 deep every year in the NFL draft. You'll see it Thursday. You'll see six, seven guys again uh, taken in the first round of the NFL draft. I mean, that's Alabama. They are a factory right now in college football. It is incredible um, how they're just pumping guys out left and right and, and what they've become um, overall is this, you know, Nick Saban and, and what they build there at Alabama. So um, I think the draft, uh, I totally lost the trade of thought. Remind me what I was saying real quick. I was looking at something. <laughs> Remind me what I was saying. I was looking at the mark real quick. You, you thought Deshaun okay, Watson should have been chosen. Yeah, so, so, okay. So I remember. So um, somebody asked me about the quarterback, and I said, Watson's got to be the guy, right? Deshaun yeah. Watson has to be that quarterback. So, um, and, and I was like, what else do you need to see? He just put up Alabama twice and just destroyed those guys and lit them up. Um, Mitch Trubisky, I thought, I said, look, this guy hasn't played a lot. There's nothing there. I know that people, here's the thing that pisses me off about scouts. Here's the thing that drives me nuts sometimes about front office general manager dudes, okay? Like, this is what drives me insane about those guys because they look at the body types and they look at the arm strength or whatever and they look at what they see in the combine and they drool. And I think that's what happened with Mitchell Trubisky. It's the same thing, guys, uh, that's going to happen with Jordan Love on Thursday. Jay Hood, it's the same thing. I mean, telling you, Jordan, he's going to go somewhere high, and it's because of what happened at the combine, because they saw what he could do, throwing it down the sideline and all that, and the arm strength. I don't believe Jordan Love is a big-time NFL quarterback. I do not believe that. But you're going to see guys that kind of just fall in love with a body type. I think that's what the Bears did. I said it from the first second that they did that. I said, why would you trade up to get Mitchell Trubisky? Why are you doing that? There's better, more proven, talented guys. I mean, look at the NFL right now. Let's not say that college football and what happens, this is not 1997. Mm -hmm. The results in college football don't matter. And if you want an absolute point-blank evidence of that, go look at Lamar Jackson. Because that's another guy that we kept saying in our world, on the college side of it, the NFL folk look at the – you know, the intangibles and the height and weight and all that crap, and they say, uh, you know, the guy's not big enough, good enough, whatever, even though we've seen Russell Wilson and Drew Brees and, and what's happened over the years. And look at the results. Look at what you see. So I think we've seen guys like Lamar Jackson have this incredible year. We've seen dudes right now show that what's happening with the modern-day offense in college football can matter. Now there's Baker Mayfield and the Browns, so it's not an exact science. But Mitchell Trubisky – was never a guy that anybody in our world, on our side, that looked at and thought that was smart. And as a Bears fan who knew damn well what he was and what he would be as a pro, thought it was the dumbest thing ever. It was one of those things where I threw my hat down and I was like, I feel like a Jets fan. 
at the draft. Right? I just want to cry and boo and, and pout and, and vomit because that's how bad. And I knew that it was going to set it back. You know what I felt like, honest to God, and I was telling you, Heisel, this this morning on Full Ride. I said when they drafted Mitchell Trubisky, I felt like they drafted Caden McNown. Mm-hmm. And if any, if you're listening to this show right now in Chicagoland and you were there and you were living in the city during Caden McNown, it was the most, it was a high draft pick, flashy, UCLA, sexy, you know, whatever. I don't, not the arm, because he never had an arm that was, I mean, he threw quack, quack, quack ducks all the time in every game. But like, he reminds me of Caden McNown. It was one of those things where it's like, you are going to put your franchise, look at that defense. Look at this team. Look at how far um, this team could be capable of going. And you're putting this guy at the helm. And as a Bears fan, and I know you guys echo this, it's frustrating. Yeah. You know, as a kid, the, the best quarterback that I had in my lifetime as a child was Jim McMahon. Jim McMahon wasn't that good. He had a great surrounding cast, you know, certainly with Willie Gall and Walter Payton and all, all the other guys they had on those teams. But that's like the best one. Is Eric Kramer number two? Is Jake Cutler number three? And, and meanwhile, we've had two of the greatest of all time with our rival up north. Yeah. And yet we think Mitchell Trubisky is the answer to Aaron Rodgers. It's the dumbest thing ever to answer your question. And I'm sorry I forgot what I was saying. I get excited about Alabama. Yes, I understand. I understand. Well, lastly, and I appreciate your time, I want to know about, you, you know, sometimes, Chris, it's – it's hyperbole when there's this thought of, oh, this is a great group of quarterbacks. Oh, it's a great group of safeties, all that. But when I'm as a college football fan, when I look at the list in front of me of wide receivers on my on this depth chart, of uh-huh. I, I, I'm really excited about the next level of wide receivers. I'm looking at 15 deep or more of guys that can pay dividends, depending on the team they're with, to really get it done. Because and the Bears need to have someone on the other side of Allen Robinson for sure. It's no shot at Anthony Miller. I just think you need another uh, speed demon on the other side. Um, what do you think of the wide receiver core, and can the Bears strike um, gold with somebody from this draft? Uh, the Bears part of it, I really hope so, and I think there's plenty to go around. To your point, I think there is going to be options out there for the Bears to go get somebody to be that compliment to Robinson, to yes to that question. As far as the wide receiver depth this year in the draft, I think it's going to be really fun to see where these guys go in the first round. Uh, Alabama is a team that I study a lot. I do um, two shows a day on Sirius XM when things are normal, uh, non-coronavirus and quarantine and you know whatever this has been for the last four or five weeks. But um, I do two shows a day. So I do full ride, which is national college football. And then in the afternoon, I do the SEC today. And I say that to say that I have watched a ton of Jerry Beauty and I've watched a ton of Henry Ruggs. And I'm not sure which one I'd rather have. I think they're great for different reasons. I mean, Jerry Judy is the classic stretch the field kind of dude, and he's really good at it. And I think he's going to be a bona fide big-time weapon for whoever takes him. And Henry Ruggs is just damn fast. You get that guy in the open field, and he's so explosive. And he's a guy that, I mean, look at Alabama football. I mean, Yatsu is a hell of a quarterback, but think of the luxury. I mean, for this guy in this modern-day RPO offense with those four modern-day horsemen they had running around, uh, Tua was just, you know, throwing to guys that were wide open. And Henry Ruggs is so fast that when people were trying to cover the run, I mean, Henry Ruggs is five, ten yards behind guys. And it was impossible for any, even in the SEC, with the speed we see defensively, for people to keep up. So that's what you see. That's what you have there. 
and a Henry Ruggs. I mean, there's just a lot of value this year at wide receiver. Um, when you look at some of the other guys out there, how about Justin Jefferson mm-hmm. and the way he just emerged this year and the name that he made for himself at LSU and it helped to have a quarterback that threw 78% on completion percentage and Joe Burrow, but he's a guy that I think uh, is a real good value. CeeDee Lamb has been so good with multiple quarterbacks there, uh, and I think the way he's been able to gel with Hurts and Murray and those guys over the last couple of years and just be that bona fide game-breaker where they need him to be that guy in that offense, he's been incredibly explosive. Higgins is a guy that I love. LaVisca Chenault's got the beautiful body that we talk about they love in the NFL. Uh, he's a guy that I love. It goes on and on and on. I mean, we could talk about wide receivers forever. So uh, great wide receiver drafts. But before you let me go, and I know we've been on long, and I know how radio works, I'm sure you're telling me goodbye soon. <laughs> I just want to make sure I say that I think a, a lifetime great, one of the all-time quarterbacks is going number one on Thursday. I think this guy is special. I think that anybody that doubts it doesn't understand on what we know on our side. Not to say that scouts and NFL people aren't brilliant people. They're there for a reason. But what else do you need to see? This kid is incredible. Joe Burrow is fantastic at reading defenses. He's got that innate ability to just know where things are going to be at a a certain time. He's obviously got the arm strength and the skill set to match that. Guys, he blew up Oklahoma, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, the list goes on and on, Florida, Auburn. This kid is special. I think he's going to be a generational quarterback. I think he's an all-timer in the NFL. That's what I think we have at number one for Cincinnati. Chris, I'm glad you spent some time. I wanted to give you that forum as your Chicago guy, because on your platforms, you kids can't talk last dance. You can't just roll no, out the last you. dance. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's why you need to get out that off your chest. So I know. Why, not, why can't we just talk about it together? That's why I want to start that. Uh, How good is it that I'm looking at a Scotty Williams signed 1991 <laughs> tenant right now in my <laughs> studio? Scotty Williams. How great is that? I met him in at Grand Canyon University. I met him because he's a he's a color analyst. He's a color analyst on the basketball team. I went up like Scotty, Jonathan Hood, UIC Flames. Can I get a picture? And he's just like, yeah. So great guy, great guy. And uh, is Grand Canyon and UIC in the same league? Because my buddy's coaching at Grand Canyon now. No, no, no. Okay, I was like, that's weird. So it's a non-conference game. I got it. Non-conference game. And by the way, rocking. I heard it's rocking. Dude, the loudest place I've ever had to do a game. Is That's what I heard. Oh my god! So it's like weird, right? Like nobody would think that ever. So sold out every every game, and it's Dan Marley's team, and yep. and just so they bring in like the big woofer speakers, right? For so mm-hmm. for intermission and for timeouts, that thing is rocking. So if you're the opposition, you can't hear what's going on. It's a party with glow sticks, really? and, and lights and strobe lights and everything during the timeout. I I have never been to a place. It was a rave for two and a half hours, and our team was fried. I got to go. Man. Not, now that my buddy Bryce Drew's there, I have to go because it sounds. <laughs> like, I've heard that. It sounds really cool. It was crazy. I mean, a, a campus that was all about it too. It's like okay, no, we're not going right. to the basketball game. We're going to a party, and that's what it was it's so. like an enormous campus too from what i hear doesn't have like sixty thousand kids or something nuts yes yes yeah is. that's crazy who, who would think grand canyon university you can call me later we could talk more about it let's do it we <laughs> should talk sometime we should be friends <laughs>
I thought we were. Uh, so I mean, there we are, is. but we should like, converse outside of radio. Chris, Chris Childers, there he is from Sirius XM Full Ride with us on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. How you doing? Follow us on the gram at IGJ Hood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. I thought Chris Childers and I were already friends. Eric, what happened there? I don't know what happened. Right. Your relationship's different than you thought, huh? <laughs> it's a work relationship. That's what it is. Guest host relationship. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. We'll have Tales from the Hood. The Tales from the Hood, by the way, is more of the last dance. I mean, we're, we're, we're not going to do anything more special than break down the first two uh, episodes of the documentary that took place on ESPN uh, and ESPN2. And there's going to be episodes three and four this upcoming Sunday on the 26th. So I'm uh, looking forward to uh, to that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Let me take a call here. Again, the lines are open for you. I can't believe I'm seeing a couple open phone lines in front of me here of uh, ask you the question, what stood out most about the documentary? So my audience didn't watch the Bulls documentary last night. Okay, well, that's why we have a draft guide here so we can break down the the Vikings, Lions, and Packers coming up, apparently. If you didn't watch the documentary, then then why are you listening? <laughs> you, you should be, you, I mean, that's the biggest thing that's happened in weeks in sports. And so, that, and so I'm asking you what stood out most, and that's the open phone lines. Okay, cool. You know, that's why I've got the Our Lads Scouting Guide in front of me. If We're going to break that down. See, that's why that's what we do, Eric. We always come prepared on the show, just in case people are just sitting back, listening, and not participating in the show. There's plenty of meat potatoes in that uh, draft guide, too. So if we, if we need to, let's we can dive right in. <laughs> well, I have it right here in front of me. So 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. North Lawndale. Here's Ron on ESPN 1000 with Jonathan Hood. Hello, Ron. Hey, Jay Hood, how you doing, man? First time caller, but I listen to you all the time. Thank you. I appreciate so, you. I've been on hold for hours, so you got to give me five minutes to hit me out, and I'm going to get to you on the raw from a okay. different perspective. So, okay. now, Jay Ryan still bought the Bulls for about what, $20 million, right? Something like that, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think about it, 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 after they won the championship, Jordan was going to be a free agent again, Scotty Pippen was going to be a free agent, and Phil Jackson, right? So Jerry Rasdorf, being as cheap as he is, he didn't want to pay that $36 million to Jordan again, probably $15 million to Pippen, and the $10 million that he would have probably had to give Phil Jackson, all three of them to stay another year, which would have been more than what he paid for the whole franchise. So that's why he allowed Jerry, Jerry Krause, who's probably the biggest villain in the world now, to, you know, after the press conference, right after Phil Jackson signed that six, uh, $6 million deal, he went right on the on press conference, before the season even started, and said, no matter if he go 82 and 0, he's not even coming back. So how do you allow a coach, I mean the general manager, to go and do a press conference before the season even start and make a statement like that? If somebody would have did that in today's sports, they'd have been ran. That's incompetent. He would have been ran out of town. So Jerry Ransdorf, being the cheapest he is, he probably was happy that they bring him back because it saved him a lot of money. So I think he put money over when he's trying to win another championship. And I just so happen to, uh, you know, had a fortune of working for Tim Grover. So I can tell you some stories about Jordan in the pickup games. Like, <laughs> he never lost. He never lost. And when he got through whooping somebody, he'll say, go sit your B.A. down. 
So, you know, I just want to leave it at that. And thanks for the call. No, thank you for the call, Ron. Now you lose line open. 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. I just, you know, so that stigma of the Bulls not spending money is going to be there. And coming up, we'll talk more about the Bulls in this documentary because, and, and I want to leave you with this one thought, and I'll talk to Nick Friedel about this in an hour from now. We'll have Nick on the show because he covered the Bulls for a decade and uh, wrote about a lot of this with the Bulls leading into uh, last night's documentary. I um, I want to put this on the poll, Eric, at ESPN 1000. Ultimately, will this Bulls documentary hurt or help the Chicago Bulls moving forward? Would it hurt or help the Bulls moving forward, like in the, in 20, 2020 and beyond, in the Arturis era? Because I think it's compelling to see the stories of Kraus, Reinsdorf during that era of the championships. And then, of course, going through this now with the Paxson regime, Gar Foreman, now that's changed after all this with Scott Skiles, Vinny Del Negro, with um, Tom Thibodeau, with Fred Hoiberg, all this, right, to where we are right now. So now we're in a different regime with Karnasovas and whoever his general manager is going to be. I'm wondering what the perception is of the Bulls now, after this whole documentary is over. Not just the first two episodes, but the whole documentary. I wonder what players think of the Bulls now, after seeing all of this. Everything's in the past now. This is in the 90s we're talking about. But I wonder will the perception change, knowing that it's something new and fresh in the organization now versus what it was in the 90s. We have uh, Tales from the Hood. More on this documentary next right here on UTH. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. What do you got there? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood. On ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Jonathan Hood with you. Coming up at 9 o'clock, we will have a guest that has not been on ESPN 1000 in close to 20 years. A guest that has not been on ESPN 1000 probably almost pretty close to 20 years. We'll tell you who that is coming up that knows the Bulls like the back of his hand. That'll be coming up at 9 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. Tales from the Hood stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. Or, Eric, the Bulls documentary last night. We're going we're gonna to add that to the piece. The, the sports, entertainment, everything else in between, and the uh, Last Dance documentary. Right. All-encompassing right there. Entertainment and sports. <laughs> like, man, oh, man. Oh, by the way, just as an aside before we go, I dive into your notes... You know, it takes someone like you to be able to get with Babyface and Teddy Riley and tell these two, hey, guys, maybe you should have your battle, your music battle on a platform that's a website so everybody can be able to log on. 
they're having this battle on Instagram. They tried this on Saturday, and all the memes and Spice Adams was, was just rolling on Teddy Riley, who was, uh, again, a, who was great in the New Jack Swing era, and Babyface, of course, from Indianapolis, the guy that's been great for generations. And these two are going to be going back and forth, you know, with a music battle, pretty much, right? They're you know, playing their hits. Then they put it on Instagram, and Instagram continues to freeze up. And, you know, you, you go there, we're having trouble loading this video. There's so many other places that they could have had this besides Instagram. But, again, trying, they had over 500,000 people going to their live on Saturday. And Teddy Riley didn't have the music ready. The, the, there was audio issues, all that. So you have almost half a million people with nothing to do on Saturday during quarantine. And they could not see the battle. Now they're doing it now and... Again, there's some issues here. It's so ridiculous. It's just surprising that people that are paid millions of dollars to put on shows are doing it on Instagram, like just with their cell phones. So you can tell they don't have a camera with them as well. It's just their phone propped up half a screen and it's fuzzy and glitchy and the music is so hard to listen to because it's in and out. You've seen a lot of these, a lot of these battles or live music on Instagram lately when it's like there's Twitch or just... You have camera crews. Just do a camera and do a live show and have it be on your website. Like, there's so many... Periscope. There's so many better streaming options. Or YouTube Live, Facebook Live. Like, these are better than video with your phone trying to do a rap battle. I mean, you go to Babyface right now. If you just go to Babyface on Instagram, it's frozen. Now, people are going to other sources, but just the idea that you're using Instagram first, it's it's just amazing. Surprising. Um, So... Let me. So usually this is a segment where I was able to talk about a lot of different things. But as as someone that's younger than me that watched the first couple of episodes of The Last Dance, what's on your yellow pad based on what you saw? So because I'm younger than you, it's on my notepad on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> to start, you could have rolled with me. But that's fine. <laughs> the very first thing that like the all encompassing thing that stood out to me in this was. The amount of, like, disrespect and hatred and just barbs constantly thrown at Kraus. Like, just in conversation, he'll be next to Jordan. Jordan will be like, you still taking those pills that are keeping you short, Jerry? And it's like, hey, Jerry, you want to get into the layup line? Oh, you better ask him to lower the hoop. Like, he knows that that's something that bothered Kraus, so he just constantly poked and prodded at it. And that that level of just disrespecting their, their boss was insane to me. You're not young enough to consider that bullying, are you? Because a certain section of the audience would look like it, they say poor Kraus, but understand that Kraus was a bad guy in in, in, in a lot of respects and was didn't have the best people skills and thought that he was the biggest dog in the yard. He thought he was bigger than Jordan and Pippen on the other players. Right. I, it's more of a battle of egos than it was bullying to me. It was two guys who think that they deserve the spotlight and really only one of those guys do. So that that to me was just it was insane to watch them. And I and as we brought up earlier in the show, that's a decade long worth of hate and vitriol built up with Jordan. Like he dealt with this man for a decade and he was at his last ends with it because he's tearing apart this team and won't let Michael run it back. All right, what else stood out to you? I had no idea how low paid Pippen was, and the one thing that stood out with me with how low paid Pippen was and how they treated Kraus was the level of power players had then versus the level of power players have now. Now, Jerry Krause, in any other organization than the Bulls, because of Paxson, Jerry Krause would have been out. If, if he went to the owner and said, uh, we're going to get rid of Phil Jackson, we're going to get rid of MJ, Rodman, and Pippen, and, because I want to rebuild and bring in Tim Floyd, 
any other owner would be like, you're out. I'm listening to my players. But at that point, they did not have any power like they do now, which may have some people believe they have too much now, but they had none at that time. So we continue to talk about every year the loyalty of the Reinsdorfs, right? I mean, see, when you hear me talk about loyalty, you know, we're talking about how Kenny Williams still with the White Sox and they just reshuffled the deck. The whole thing with the Bulls where guards the face, no, now packs the face, now we don't know what to do and all this, like going back and forth, right? Well, that also accentuates the loyalty factor in that you would rather listen to Jerry Krause, who want to blow this up after the fifth championship instead of, I don't know, the cash cow, the face of the league, Michael Jordan. You have to ride that until the blanking wheels fall off. See, as I mentioned in the open, Eric, every other team, think about all the teams that you've seen in the NBA that has been on championship run, including Golden State, right? Golden State, San Antonio, Detroit Pistons, Chicago Bulls, Lakers uh, in the early 90s, um, Celtics, you you deal with attrition. You wait until, okay, you know what, this, this dog won't hunt anymore, so now we have to be able to retool. No, the Bulls, all of a sudden with foresight of all things, right? Now they got foresight. Yeah, you know what, things are going well, but we need to get rid of all these players and start over. Why? The money's coming in. There's people. There's eyeballs on the uh, eyeballs on the team. The team's winning. Why level it? Why stop it? Because of ego. Yeah. And it, so and, exactly. and Reinsdorf sided with Kraus in that regard instead of the players that were actually putting money in the pockets of that organization. That tells you a lot about loyalty. Absolutely. It's it just ah, I forget where I was going with it. It was like Kraus just I don't. It's mind blowing to me that Kraus had the say over the person that. He talked about how the Chicago Sting soccer team was outdrawing the Bulls, Reinsdorf did, until Jordan got there. And then Jordan gets there, and they are the talk of the town, the talk of the nation, but it's Krause over the top. And, and then it's the whole shadiness with Tim Floyd. It came down to personalities. He didn't like Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson kind of wanted his job as well. So instead of trying to mend it and realize that your job is to win, it was let's get rid of him. The Chicago Sting was outdrawing the Bulls because the Sting won the championship in 81. <laughs> I know nothing about the Chicago Sting at I'm all. I'm here to help you. That's why I'm here to help you. I'm not, see, that's a, it, I don't want you to be that guy that's ignoring the past. Let me help you with this stuff. There we go, 81. In the, in the, in the bank forever now. Yeah, so, so the, sting, the, the reason why the Sting outdrew the Bulls is because the, the Sting won the championship. And, and keep in mind, championships were few and far in between in Chicago, right? So you took anything you wanted. So the the Sting, which Carl Heinz Granitza and all these all these guys were great players, and they were household names just for a few years because they were winners. That's why I, I drew the Bulls. And so until Jordan came, and then of course all that changed. All right. My next note is: there's no way in hell in today's world with everyone having a camera on them or anything like that that an athlete would get away with tricking his front office, saying he's going back to college to take classes during rehab. And just running up and down the court. Let's let's roll the ball out and recreate. No way that flies today because everyone's filming all those practices. He came back and they had no like he told Kraus and Kraus like like he he wet himself. He couldn't believe that he was running around. Imagine you the owner. All of a sudden MJ's like, oh yeah, I'm ready to go. I've been playing five on five for two weeks now. Yeah, when when you have lost track of your player. That's also incompetence, is it not? It's crazy. I mean, like, I mean, you can't be in North Carolina the whole, you know, the, the every step of the way. But 
there would be a representative around the asset, around the player, to make sure that he's okay. Oh, you're not rehabbing here? You're in North Carolina? Okay, cool. We're going to send someone down there to make sure that you're doing okay. That's what happened in the modern day. Back then, Jordan did whatever he wanted to do, and he was not just lounging and partying. He wanted to make sure that he was ready. That shows, again, a different level of athlete that was getting ready in college, at his old college, to make sure he's back on the floor. Yep, and then... It's crazy to think that Jordan was in college playing hoops for three years and wanted to come back for a fourth. That was that generation, but now he, after that freshman year where he had that massive second half of the season, he's he's making the jump right away. He spent three years, like college basketball got to enjoy Michael Jordan for three years. That's not what we'd see now. It was a great time as a kid, right, to watch college basketball and knowing that the best of the best were battling into their junior and senior years. Um, And by the way, you know, watching Jordan, North Carolina against Ewing at Georgetown, that was the beginning of the end for Ewing. (laughs) That was it right there. Even in college, right? It's like Jordan is putting up the big shot against Ewing, and now they have to meet each other when Jordan's with the Bulls and Ewing's with the Knicks. And it's like, oh, so I remember this guy in college. He was killing us, and now – Every step of the way, Jordan was killing Ewing, and and Jordan was able to get on top, winning championships, and Ewing never did. So that that whole rivalry started in college, and Jordan was the hammer, and Ewing was the nail. That was crazy. My last one is so after that that game against the Celtics, where like well the two games where he had the Jordan had the forty nine and then the sixty three. That's his second season, and in that second season, he only played like nineteen games. So he's a season in a quarter in. And after that game, both Bird and, and Magic Johnson, who were the league for the last decade, were 100% the NBA, both right away, two years, not even, a year and 20 games into his career, was like, this guy is the most talented player in the league. I can't imagine a player now coming into the league and everyone, right, even like the stars of the stars, are like, yo, this is the dude now. Yeah, how about that? That was, that was <laughs> like, when you like sit back and be like, all right, now, it's fine when they say it now, but they're saying it. As they're like they're on top of the world still, like that eighty six, like that eighty six Celtics team could be argued with the Bulls in ninety five as the best team ever. And Bird steps back and is like, "Yo, he is not real. He is a god dressed up as a basketball player." <laughs> uh, and I want you to just juxtapose the Jordan sixty three in a loss. And in, um, compare that to what you see today, right? Somebody can have a great game, a young player can get 63, and now someone's at a desk yelling back and forth and whether or not that guy's unselfish or not, right? Going back and forth. Like, Jordan grew from the loss. It was one of my favorite games, even though it was a loss. But imagine how that would be perceived today. And that's why, Eric, I keep telling you, and again, we're not that far away in age, but just the point is, is that I grew up in an era where you're just watching the coverage and enjoying the athlete instead of tearing the athlete down nine times out of ten. Right. Like like you said this earlier, if Harden or Westbrook had those games in a loss, it's the easy fodder on first take is not winning basketball. And they're <laughs> going to yell at each other about it. <laughs> Always remember uh, that the first championship I remember as a kid was the 81 Sting Championship. There it is. So just right there. So put it, put it down. I mean, I mean, that's why the sting was out drawing the bull. And you know, for anyone to say was there was soccer ever over in Chicago? Yeah, just for like a few years with the sting, and then the then Jordan came in, and then Peyton came in. Don't forget about him now. Yeah. So there that that was my childhood. I was uh, nine. 
There you go. So celebrating the ships. Absolutely. Yeah. I, was a, I was a mere child, not understanding why they kept k- kicking the ball, but I know they were winning and there was a ticker tape parade. So there you go. And that is Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000. No, you're right, Eric. It was a lot of those stories were compelling, and you know it wasn't like I was this you know intrepid reporter in there and and covering the team. But you hear those stories, right? When you're a producer or you get a chance to go to games and you're around the locker room area, you hear stories, and you know I've heard a lot of stuff about the Bulls, and there's some things I learned in that documentary, and I thought it was very very interesting. Uh, coming up. At 9 o'clock, someone who has not been on the station in almost two decades will tell us about the Bulls uh, and the championship years because he's covered it all. That's still to come right here on Under the Hood. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. Fortunately for us, we had the last shot. Bird, pick and roll, We were fortunate to win that game, but Michael put on a show. Our Miller Lite most valuable player of the game is Michael Jordan with an all-time record 63 points in a single playoff game. We ended up winning the series, but it was an incredible, incredible playoff performance. I've never seen it before, and I had never seen it after. That wasn't Michael Jordan out there. It was God disguised as Michael Jordan. Dick Stockton on the call on CBS. <laughs> wow. Player of the game was Michael Jordan, the loss. Huh? How often do you get that today? First of all, how often do you get the player of the game with a sponsor? But secondly, he was a player of the game in a loss. That's how tremendous that Michael Jordan was. As we talk about this on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app, you had the documentary The Last Dance. And we only saw the first two episodes, and boy, there's going to be more coming up next Sunday, and it's going to be great. Um, Scotty Pippen, to me, and the story of Scotty Pippen is something that we have to delve into a little bit more here, uh, because I, I saw Scotty Pippen's uh, ex-wife weigh in on social media, talking about this this bad seven-year, $18 million deal or whatever it was that Pippen signed. And Larsa Pippen uh, jumped in on social media, says the career earnings for Pippen was over $109 million. And Larsa says, thanks for your concerns, but Scotty did okay. I don't know why she decided that she wanted to just, uh, you know, jump in on that, you know, as Larsa filed for divorce back in November of 2018. Uh, but, it's kind of weird that she j- jumped in with that, but I think it's very easy to go- do a Google search to know how much money Scottie Pippen made at the end of his career. It's it's fine. I don't know why she decided to jump in, but I I, I also believe that the seven-year, $18 million deal on the surface, you're like, boy, that's not a lot of money for a guy that was so great. But the point is, is though, is that he had to sign that deal because he had to take care of his family. And again, if you don't not, if you don't relate to poverty or those that went through poverty, then you won't get it. So this conversation is not for you. But when you are dirt poor, like they were in Arkansas, my family is from Arkansas, from Hope and Forest City, Arkansas, and they knew what it meant to be in poverty. They knew how it was so difficult to scrape two nickels together to try to be able to survive. But again, 
this if you didn't go through that or no no you know if you're not interested in that part of the storyline and you want to harp on the seven year eighteen million dollar deal how bad it was and try to find um, negativity in that that's fine but from my standpoint I get that Pippen had to take care of his family because that's the number one thing they didn't have anything when he was in Central uh, Arkansas. And for him to be able to give back, that's great. And ultimately, you knew Pippen was going to get his. He was able to get a nice balloon deal at the end of his deal with the Chicago Bulls, went on to Houston, Portland, other spots, and he was able to make, as Larson put out there for everyone to know, over $100 million in his career. So he's got generational wealth he's taken care of. and But just at the point of in time of this documentary and they're talking about Pippen as a young player. Yeah. He deserved to have a lot more. And I understand the money as far as the salary cap was not in a position uh, before the big TV deals kicked in. I understand that people couldn't make the huge amount of money at that particular time, but in the end he got his, and this is what Pippen talked about, right? In the documentary, he goes, Oh, eventually I'll get mine. And he got his, and I'm glad that he did because he had a great career, uh, one of the top 50 players of all time. He was the Robin to Michael Jordan's Batman. And 6,008 years, the rest is history. It's great. We're going to talk to someone in two minutes that has not been on the station in over two decades about the Chicago Bulls. That's next right here on U10.